Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are in a series called Messianic Teachings for Christians. We're now coming to the conclusion of this series. This will be our last episode to bring it to a conclusion of what we've been doing. In the course of this series and sharing with you different parts, I have attempted to, if you will, affirm some of the teachings and the faith of my fellow Messianic believers. For those Christians who aren't familiar with Messianic teachings, to introduce them to you. At the same time, draw some comparisons between, honestly, what we've been taught in the church all of our lives versus what we Messianics are now coming to understand about the Bible in the fulfillment of turning back to Moses and looking at what Moses said originally with the prophets and then lining that up with what the Messiah said. And rather than breaking the Bible into two parts and we Christians, we don't have to pay attention to the first part, we just focus on the second part, looking at the Bible in total, looking at that Moses was the greatest prophet of the Messiah and he spoke of the Messiah and and the character of God is defined to us by Moses. And so when the Messiah shows up, who is God, by the way, that his character didn't change. He is the same God. When Yeshua said, I and the Father are one, that the Messiah didn't come to change God's program that he had established with mankind prior to the coming of the Messiah. There are three great works of God. There's the creation there's the redemption, and there's the restoration. What Christians have been taught about the Old Testament is about the Creator God, the Father, the Heavenly Father of all things. And somehow they got the idea, they've been taught, that when the Messiah came, he came to do a whole new thing. Well, we have the word new in the New Covenant, so they think that's what it meant. When in truth, in fact, that word really means renewed. It means an effort to make it even stronger than what was done. I think Christians struggle trying to figure out how Jesus is God, and yet God was the creator, and how do they sort, and then the Holy Spirit's God, and how do they sort all that up? The reason is because they've been taught in the Bible they're different parts. This part goes here, and that part goes here. Of course, they have this theology called dispensational theology where we chop it all up into different parts. We don't get a picture or a view of the Bible all the way through. God said from the creation, he created the Sabbath. He created marriage. He created life. The reason why Sabbath has not gone away is because it reflects the Creator. The Creator hasn't gone away, but the church decided to, church fathers, decided let's move away from, quote, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. By the way, that's their name for the previous five covenants that God did. And then let's make a new thing, and we'll call it the church, not Israel. So a lot of the things I've come to you with, all the different topics, have been addressing that division is not appropriate. What God started out to do way back a long time ago with mankind still remains with us today. What he decided to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it still remains with us today. When the Messiah came, he didn't change any of that. He came to make it even more so. God dealt with the nation of Israel 
in the past, bringing them out of Egypt and establishing them. Now God, through the Messiah, has come and works with us personally, but that didn't change what God was doing with Israel. That didn't change what God's dealing with us as a commonwealth. And by the way, Paul clearly teaches that every Christian is part of the commonwealth of Israel. We don't hear that emphasized in church teaching. We hear something completely different. They just ignore some of that. So our program has been addressing those issues and looking at those differences. We began on the very first episode, in fact, we spent a couple of episodes covering this, when Yeshua said that I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. The argument is about the word fulfill. As I said to you, that what the church uses for the definition of that is not the definition of that word as spoken of by the Messiah. The word fulfill that he spoke of was to make it even greater, to fill it up full, to make it even more so. In fact, I pointed out that the new covenant, supposedly against the old covenant, the church says that he took the same commandments that he spoke from Mount Sinai and he wrote them now on the tablets of our hearts instead of on tablets of stone. He made this very personal to us. He's given us the indwelling spirit to go with it. These are all wonderful, greater things. And I agree, the new covenant is a much better covenant than the previous covenants, but that didn't make the other covenants go away. They are still the foundation of our faith. And those principles are still in effect. And those truths are still there. And oh, by the way, those commandments are still there as well. We covered that quite extensively. Then we addressed part of the identity issue that we all have. In the world today, Christians go around saying there's two types of people in the world. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. They think that's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's Jews and Gentiles. And so the Bible's a lot about what the Jews did and the Gentiles are about what the church did. Actually, that is not the biblical definition of mankind. The biblical definition is there are believers and there are unbelievers. With regard to the believers, there can be Jewish persons. That would be a subset of what Israel is, because Israel is much greater than just the Jewish people, brethren. There are a whole set of northern tribes called in the Bible the house of Israel that went into captivity separate from the Jewish brethren, which are called the house of Judah. The house of Israel went into captivity with the Assyrians scattered into the world, They lost their identity as even being part of Israel. Judah did retain its identity as being part of Israel. They ended up going to Babylon and then coming back, and then they've been scattered the world, and now they've come back to become a nation. And again, as I shared with you before, that's what the prophecies said would happen. It said that when Judah would come back to the land, that there's a day coming when the house of Israel, the sons of Israel, Ephraim, the northern kingdom. They're not called Jews, by the way. They will be coming back too. You can sometimes readily identify Jewish people. They have kind of maintained their identity, but I would remind you they're a subset of the biblical definition of who Israel is. And by the way, the biblical definition of Israel even includes beyond the native born of Jacob, it includes aliens and sojourners. Whoever is of the nations that believes in the God of Israel, 
and wants to join with Israel and the God of Israel, they are welcomed in. They have full citizen rights in the kingdom of God along with him. There is no division between how God deals with the Jewish people and how God deals with the church. There is none. There's one God, one spirit, one baptism, one faith. It's for everyone. We talked about that extensively. Now, if that's true, that's our identity, that's who we're all supposed to be, then that means that the teaching of Moses and the teaching of the prophets, all of those principles and truths, they are binding and of effect today. The idea that Yeshua came with a different set of commandments and different instructions is false. Yeshua came teaching what Moses said. He came teaching it even better than what other teachers had said in that day. In fact, in the days that Yeshua came, he was dealing with Jewish religious leaders who had taken Moses, added to what he had said, taken away from what he had said, had distorted what Moses had said. And when Yeshua came, he basically took issue with them by saying, you prefer the precepts of men to the commandments of God. By the way, Moses is the one that taught the commandments of God. He specifically said to them, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for Moses wrote of me. In other words, there's no division between what the Messiah said and what Moses said. But not only did the Pharisaic Jews and the Sadducean Jews of Yeshua's day be contrary to what Moses done, and therefore they were contrary to what the Messiah had said, Nowadays, we have the church, we have Christians who think they're following what the Messiah said, and they don't realize they're completely contrary to what Yeshua taught. Why, why are they so contrary? Because Yeshua came teaching Moses, and they've turned around and said, we don't follow the teaching of Moses anymore. Therefore, they're not following the teaching of the Messiah because he came teaching that. Now, we covered a lot of that. We also covered things like what is Sabbath versus Sunday worship. Sabbath is a day designated by God. That's a day of rest. It reflects him being the creator. He wants us to remember to keep it holy and separate from the other days to rest. The church uh, Sunday is a day they chose, and they chose that day under the auspices of following the resurrection but in truth, in fact, they really set it up so they wouldn't do what those Jews were doing, what Israel was doing. We don't want to do Sabbath. We want to have our own day. And by the way, that's church history. That's well documented. And they don't even deny that, what I said. They actually say what I just said. We talked about that difference. We also talked about the feasts and holidays that God has given to us from Passover to unleavened bread, feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, Pentecost. By the way, in the New Testament, all these are observed. You can see in the New Testament, the Messiah and the apostles kept all these holidays. How in the world, if the apostles are keeping all of those, how in the world did we get off onto a whole new set of holidays and we just ignore what God established for all of his people? How is it that we ignore the Passover when, by the way, that's the dominant event that the Messiah came and did with his apostles? That was the picture of redemption. 
And surely we in the church, we promote redemption and salvation through the Messiah. Yet the very thing that illustrates it greatest for us, the Feast of Passover, we don't teach or promote that. Literally, we've taken away all of that, and we've just taken one little part out of it. We took that little cup and that little piece of bread in the church we call communion, which is just the little piece of bread and the little cup that's part of the Passover, and we just ignore all the rest of Passover. Why, why did we do that? The disciples kept the Passover. The Messiah kept the Passover. Everybody kept the Passover. They were keeping the Passover even after the resurrection. And the other feasts, Paul coming to Jerusalem was to keep feasts that were in the temple at those times. Yeshua kept all these feasts. If he came to really shake things up and make things different and build a church, I said, why, why didn't he do it? Why is he still doing what was the teaching of Moses? And how did we make the gear shift change to where that we are today? I'm not sure I know all of the answers to that, but it's bound up in church history. And most of us that grew up in the church, and certainly my experience was that I never heard about this other stuff. I just, this is the way it was. This is what we got to do. We're all following the same thing. We think we're doing the right thing. In this program, I've illustrated to you the differences. Maybe things haven't been going on as well as they should have. Maybe we're not doing really what the Lord said. Maybe we've fallen prey to, we're following the traditions of men instead of paying attention to what the Lord said. We even covered things like what is kosher, what is clean and unclean. I'll repeat to you a summary verse out of Leviticus about what God says about a man who eats clean versus a man who eats unclean. He simply says of that man, if you eat clean food, you're holy. If you partake of the unclean and you consume it as food, you're unholy. Now, God has said, I am holy. I want you to be holy too. I guess being holy like the Lord isn't really that important to a lot of Christians. No, that's not true. I think what is closer to the truth is they haven't been taught. So my purpose in coming was to teach you some basics. Why did God set up a definition for clean and unclean? Why is there a difference between holy and the profane? Why has God set these rules up and explained how he wants us to walk and operate before him? It's honestly for our good. And when we decide not to follow his good, we suffer the consequences. Very simply said, he said, if we obey him, we get blessings. If we disobey him and his commandments, we get curses. We don't get the blessings. And we have a lot of evidence in this world that supports the truth in what God said there. We also talked about the eschatology, talked about the idea of what is supposed to happen in the future. The primary subject for the Christian world when we talk about eschatology is when is the rapture? When do we get to go up and be? And then we've got a whole lot of eschatology theories. 
about what we do when we get up there and what happens on the earth when that when we're not there and when do we come back and how does the kingdom work and all kinds of things. It is a confusing mess that is taught by them. There is no agreement within the Christian world as to exact timing on things. They go around and keep talking about it, but there's no agreement on it. In the meantime, nobody ever goes back and says, hey, you know, Yeshua did sit down and he did answer the questions the disciples said, what will be the signs at the end and what can we expect at the end times and tell us about your return. I mean, he did answer those questions. And basically he said there were three great things going to happen at the end. It all centers around a three and a half year period called the Great Tribulation. That's what it's a three and a half year period called the Great Tribulation. Now, there are the days that are before the Great Tribulation. There are the days of the Great Tribulation. And then there are the days immediately after the Tribulation. That's Matthew chapter 24. That's what Yeshua taught. And he said the central event of the start of the Great Tribulation, the thing that would be gripping, most gripping to us in the world, is a certain prophecy that Daniel has given to us called the abomination of desolation. That prophecy has two elements to it. It deals with Israel in the land of Israel, and it deals with that there's going to be an altar set up on the Temple Mount, and there will be these priests, Levitical priests, and they will be performing the daily sacrifice. This is the sacrifice of a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And that particular daily sacrifice, it encases all of the different sacrifices that may be put on the altar for that day. And it's required of the altar every day. If there's any disruption in it, a failure to do the morning sacrifice, a failure to do the evening sacrifice, the altar is now defined as not an altar to God. It has to be torn down, rebuilt, rededicated, and so forth. The prophecy says there's a day coming when there will be an operating altar. By the way, at the moment, we don't have that, but there's a day coming when it will. And it says that service will be stopped, that they will stop the daily sacrifice. And that's day one of the Great Tribulation. He didn't talk about any kind of a resurrection or rapture taking place at all with the saints. Instead, he said there will be great tribulation. And he described how we, all the believers, are going to go through that and how God is going to help us to escape, survive, and endure those days. He who endures to the end will be saved, he said. And there will be survivors, and the Lord will deliver them during those days. Now we come to the completion of the great tribulation, and then he says immediately after the days of the tribulation, now you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And then he describes there will be a resurrection. Paul tells us that when that resurrection takes place, we who are alive will be caught up together with all of those saints that are being raised from the grave and we'll be with the Lord in the air, we'll see the day of the Lord, and then we'll come back down to the earth, we'll be in Jerusalem, we'll see the Messiah return. The first thing we're going to do is celebrate the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Ingathering, the season of joy, and we'll be there rejoicing with the Lord. That's what the prophecy says. 
You know what? When I was a Christian and I was interested in end-time prophecies, I never had anybody ever tell me that. Now, that is what it says in the Scriptures. That's what Yeshua said in answer to his disciples, key specifically, what would be the signs of the end and what would be the sign of your coming back? The whole theory of other eschatology comes from men. And the reason why it did is because they've left Israel. They're not part of Israel. They don't think they're part of Israel. They don't think that they're part of what Yeshua described. They think, oh, that's, that stuff will happen to the Jews, but we got a different program. We hit the escalator ride out of here before any of that ever happens. And they claim on the authority of two verses, two passages of Scripture, one in 1 Thessalonians 4 and one in 1 Corinthians 15, which, oh, by the way, are descriptions of the resurrection at the end of the age. The dominant subject in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 is not the rapture. It's about the resurrection. The rapture is just the people that are alive at the time of the resurrection. They join up. Why aren't we emphasizing the Messiah returning with all of his saints when he establishes his kingdom? Why do we exclude all the other previous saints? Why, why do we think the church as some special status when it comes to the return of the Lord. Quite simply, it's because men took away from and added to the prophecies of God, and they were warned in the book of Revelation, do not add to nor take away from these prophecies. They did the same mistake that the Pharisaic Jews did with Moses. They added to and took away from what he did. We have churchmen who've added to and taken away from what the book of Revelation says and the end-time prophecy. We pointed those things out to you as well. I shared with you extensively that there is no old covenant. In fact, there is actually seven covenants in the plan of God. The covenant that God made with Adam that involves all of us and mankind on the earth, the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, the covenant he made with Noah that was before Abraham, the covenant he made with Moses and the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, the covenant he made with King David when he had King David reign over the greatest part of when Israel was in the land. And finally, he gave us a new covenant through the Messiah. And there's still yet a future covenant. That would be the covenant of peace. That's what God's going to give us in the kingdom. We don't hear much said about those individual covenants when you're in the church. They all sum them up as old covenants. They think the new covenant is it, and they even forget to tell you about the covenant of peace. If we're going to talk about the agreements that God has made with mankind that affect us, maybe we should use the description of what God gives for those covenants instead of what other men want to redefine the covenants to be, because that's going to lead us astray. And one of the things I tried to show to you, this is what messianic teaching, let's go back to the covenants that God made with us. The church teaching is where they super summarize them, group them together, and then basically ignore them and don't deal with them. My biggest thing that I want to share with all of you, and when we dealt with some of the critics of messianic teaching, Hebrew roots teaching, and I gave you two 
critics and reviewed some of the materials, articles, and books they have written about the subject. Essentially, they they don't want to they don't want you to obey the Lord. They want to give you a lot of excuses why you shouldn't obey the Lord. And I'm and I want you to step back and I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to ask yourself something. Should you be listening to a teacher who has a clear testimony to you that says, "Do not obey what God said before." Or should you be listening to a teacher who says, you should obey everything that God has said? The problem is theology gets in the way, religion gets in the way, and that's the reason why they diverge from, and they get into the idea where they think they're telling you a good thing and they're telling you not to obey the Lord. I'm not here to promote theology with you. And I hope you understand I have not been trying to do that. I'm not here to give you a new set of religious practices. I'm not here selling you Jewish culture. I'm not selling that. I am trying to get your attention to come back to what did God say and focus on that because your relationship is with him. Your, Your relationship is not with the church or an organization, or a theology. Your relationship is with God. So let's get back to paying attention to what God has to say and what he has to say to us specifically. And the simple idea is, I know this sounds harsh, but let's just obey the Lord, and all this stuff will sort itself out just fine. All this religion and theology, it'll take care of itself. Let's just focus on obeying the Lord. By the way, that means we have to learn the commandments. And as I've shared with you before, if you examine, the commandments of God come in three parts. There's an objective. There is a standard he wants you to do it to. And there is a condition of which you do. Now, that's kind of a technical explanation, but let me simplify it for you. If you're a man... I'm telling you right now, you do not have to worry about the commandments God gives to women. And by the way, God gives them some different commandments from you. Vice versa, if you're a woman, you don't have to worry about the commandments given to a man specifically. If you're a, a Levite priest, then you need to keep those particular commandments. But if you're not a Levite priest, you don't have to worry about those commandments. If you're the high priest of Israel, there's a bunch of commandments that he wants you to follow. But if you're not the high priest of Israel, you don't have to worry about that. And there's a lot of different conditions under certain commandments are done in the land, not necessarily outside of the land. All kinds of things God has given. You need to, when you go to learn the commandments of the Lord, learn what the objective is, learn what the standards are, learn what the conditions are. And by the way, stop listening to men who want to specify the standards and conditions for you. You can figure this out. For example, if you're going to keep Sabbath, and I recommend you do, if you want to the standard of how you keep Sabbath, if you want to follow what Judaism teaches about keeping the Sabbath, they've been keeping the Sabbath for a while, they have an additional 1,583 specific standards they want to lay on you. 
You know, there's only 613 commandments in the entire law of Moses, but they've got additional standards they levy over the top, and that's the reason why those replace the commandments. There's more of those you got to keep track of than the actual commandments of God. I'm not recommending you do that. I'm recommending that you go learn that Sabbath is about rest. And there seems to be about six different little specific variations that he covers. One of them has to do with travel. One of them has to do with work and how you stop doing work and you rest. And one of them has about assembling with your brethren and some basic, simple things. It's not complicated. Keeping the commandments of God is not a grievous thing. It's actually pretty simply set it up for us, for our good, so that we would get the blessings of life and we wouldn't hurt ourselves and we'd get along with one another. That's the reason why he gave the commandments. I use the simple wisdom with folks about when you get in your car and you drive down to the end of the street and they've got one of those red and white octagonal signs that says stop on it. I ask people, do you stop at the stop sign? And the average person says, oh yeah, I stop at the stop sign. Why, why do you stop there? It's the law. It's traffic law. Now, do you stop there even if you look either way on the road that you're going to stop at and you don't see any cars? There's nobody coming. Do you still stop? You know what the purpose of the sign is to provide you some safety of entering the roadway correctly. They want you to stop. They want you to look before you enter the roadway. But let's say you're driving up there and you can see there's nobody coming. You know, do you still stop at the stop sign? If you're obedient, you do. If you're disobedient, you don't. You think you're smarter than the law only to discover there's one of those other cars out there that you didn't see that's got the red and blue lights on it. And the next thing you know, you're being pulled over and you have transgressed the law. We have a lot of Christians that look at some of the commandments of God and they think, I can see for myself, I don't have to do that. I don't have to abstain from pork. We have refrigerators now and we have different packing houses and so forth. I can eat pig, it'll be okay but it's God's law, and you decided to transgress God's law. You're disobeying the Lord. It's that simple. By the way, you think you're going to get away with it? Nah. The Scripture is very emphatic. God says in his very character, in his very character, the guilty will not go unpunished. That's the reason we need a Redeemer. That's the reason why we want to accept the Messiah and receive forgiveness of our sins because every one of us have been in the habit and we tend to transgress the commandments of God. And that's the definition of sin. Sin is transgressing the commandments of God. We still have sin today because we still have commandments and we still have men that are transgressing them. We have tried to share with you about there's a whole nother way to live. And that's called obeying the Lord and walking in light and walking upright. And that's what the Messiah came to teach us to do, was to follow in his pattern, to follow in the pattern of the apostles who obeyed the Lord, and he wants us to obey him as well. Now, 
that's kind of a summary of what we tried to cover in the previous episodes that you saw. And as I was going through and teaching, I was praying that those that view this broadcast, I'm hoping that this would be edifying and encouraged to you. And I'm pleased to share with you, I received a number of complimentary letters and notes and posts that came to me. People were enjoying the series, and for that, I am very thankful that there was a great benefit to you. I selected one response that came back to me, one, one note that came to me, and I thought this person succinctly explained what we've been doing in this series. I asked for permission to share her post with me, and she's granted it to me. This is not the only post I got, but this is an excellent one that kind of summarizes all the others. And maybe as I read this, maybe you have gone through that same thing. Maybe you've gone through the same transition. Let me read to you. This is a note that I received from a lady named Suzanne. And this is what she wrote to me. She said, Montia, I have kind of followed your teachings and updates since about 2008. So you must know that I find your insights and opinions valuable. Last weekend, my husband and I started watching your series on Messianic teachings for Christians. Both of us were stunned at your comments on the law of Moses, contradicting as they do our approximately 70 years each of Christian learning. Being something of a researcher, I embarked on a personal journey to either confirm or refute for myself what you said. This morning, as I was entering a few of the many scriptures I found into a spreadsheet with two columns, one confirming your comments and one refuting. The Spirit whispered that I should finally look up the actual definition of the word fulfill in my poor old dog-eared paper dictionary published in 2001. It lists four definitions for the word fulfill, with the most common usage being first and the least common being the last. The fourth and final definition said to bring to an end or complete, which, as you point out, is the definition so widely used throughout the Christian churches and which I have heard used regarding this passage umpteen times in Sunday school classes and books I've read. I'd never given it a second thought. Shame on me. I should have known better. But the first definition in that valuable dictionary says to bring into actuality or effect. That fits absolutely perfectly with your interpretation of Matthew 5, 17 through 19. The Messiah came not to bring an end to the law of Moses and the prophets, but to bring them fully into effect. In fact, as I began to study this question for myself, the very first scripture I found was Malachi 4.4, which I don't remember you bringing up, but which, of course, is the one of the very last things said in the Old Testament. The last words of the Old Testament before you start to read anything in the New Testament says, remember the law of Moses. Those are the last words of what the Christians call the Old Testament. Again, I was stunned. It's been over 50 years ago when, as a teenager, I gave myself a challenge to read the entire Bible, every verse, 
approximately once a year in addition to whatever reading assignment we had for Sunday school. And sometimes living in an area where I was able to participate with a local group of moms reading and studying and discussing, yet in all that time, all those many times of reading those verses, I have never once put two plus two together as you have helped me do. Thank you so very much. This is representative of some of the folks that have responded to this teaching here. And for that, I'm very happy that they have the blessing of seeing and understanding what the Messiah actually said to us. Maybe you've had some of those thoughts. Maybe you disagree. In whichever case, I'm happy to hear your comments. And for Suzanne, thank you. She kind of spoke for all of the others that sent me comments in. And she has succinctly shared exactly what I was hoping to share with you folks in this program and series. So this concludes our series, the last program for our series, Messianic Teachings for Christians. Obviously, there's much more to learn. And if I could, I'd like to recommend what they said in Acts 15. Maybe you could go to learn more. You could go to a place on Sabbath where they teach Moses. Maybe you could learn even more about what we've been talking about. I'm going to conclude with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this program. Thank you for the audience that has viewed and attended this. Thank you, Lord, for your instructions in righteousness. Thank you for the Messiah who's come and done the work of redemption. And thank you for the great promise that he has to come back and establish his kingdom and for us to be a part of it. We know it's important, Lord, to follow your instructions correctly and as the way you taught them. Help us, Lord, to sort out all of the issues and questions that we may have about how to walk uprightly before you and to walk out our faith before you. I ask, Lord, that those that view these programs, that by your spirit, you would pour out your understanding upon them Strengthen us, Lord, and help us to stand uprightly before you, obedient and faithful before you. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.